This is how we're going to structure the sermon. Same way I did a couple weeks ago. We're going to make some observation on the next three days of creation, days four, five, and six. Then I'm going to end with a connection to Christ. Okay? Here we go. Next. Thank you, Joe. Joe Cristaldi, right? He, like, like he had a donut and he's now, where is he? He's like floating up here. He's all amped up, and I got him, like, right here in my right ear. <laughs> day four. Observations on the next three days of creation. Day four, day five, day six. Day four, let's look carefully at day four. Then we'll look at day five. We'll look quickly at day six, because we'll be spending more time on day six next week, and then we'll make some application. All right, day four. So we see in verse 14... Actually, verse 13, you see, there was evening and there was morning, the third day. Now we move to the fourth day. And Moses gives full expression to the earth, to God filling the earth with light in this day. So we know, we talked last week about the light that was created, that was functioning in the first three days was the light of God because the sun, we know, had not yet been created. It's not created until day four. Okay? So Moses gives us full expression to the lights that God created to fill the earth. And he tells the story twice. The second time is a reversal of the first. I'll read it again. But the double expression of Moses telling the story twice functions to highlight the sun, moon, and stars and their impact on the earth. The focus is geocentric, earth-centric. Look at verses 14 through 19 again. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Some translations actually refer to them as the great lights. Let there be great lights. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give lights upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two, there we see it, great lights, the greater light to rule the day, lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and rule over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Notice that Moses does not refer to them as, at least in this section, as the sun and the moon. He refers to them as great lights. He refers to a great light to rule the day, and a great light to rule the night. Why? Why doesn't Moses use the language that we understand, the language that we, we, we know what he's talking about, but he doesn't use the language of sun and moon? Moses consciously avoids using the name sun and moon because of the context of the original hearers of this book of Holy Scripture that he is writing. The, Egypt, the, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt 
for 450 years. This is the context. And the, the, the Egyptians worship the sun and the moon. What Moses is doing here is helping us to see that the sun, the moon, and the stars are not God's, but they are God's creation. What's he doing? He's exalting Israel's, big word, majestic monotheism over Egypt's weak, degraded, pagan polytheism of their day. Do you see what's happening here? God is being exalted over the false gods that existed during that day. Now, I don't know many sun worshipers. I don't know many moon worshipers. But I do know many false god worshipers. God is exalted as the sovereign ruler and creator over all the false gods of history. You might not worship the sun. But you chase after false gods. I chase after false gods all day long. False gods allure us. We prefer the false gods of money, sex, being popular, beauty as the world defines it. Material things. But all false gods, at their best, can only provide momentary pleasure. They can't satisfy our souls. They can't satisfy that deep, restless longing that occupies every single soul. We were created by God for God to be satisfied in Him and in Him alone. And all of our restless activity in seeking to be satisfied in false gods, even good things that were never intended, the sun and the moon are good. They're just not God's. They're his creation. Augustine said it, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Anybody know a restless heart? You know what it's like to feel restless in your soul? To go longing and yearning after something to, to, to give you peace, to give you satisfaction, and you find your longing is never met. It's because 
You've got this God-sized hole in your heart that only God can fill. And He can fill it because He's the Creator over all. He's your Creator. What an incredible wonder, though, the earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars are. I read a great story this week about Sir Isaac Newton, 17th century scientist, mathematician, philosopher. And he was a smart guy. And so he had, uh, in his study of the heavenlies, he made some amazing observations without a Hubble telescope. And he created a model. He and some friends had built a model of, as best as they could understand it at their time, of the solar system. And it was complete with the, the sun at the center. And, and then he had these chains and, and, and cogs and wheels and gears. And he made a solar system so that it would operate with the planets in orbit uh, symmetrically representing the solar system. And it was this amazing thing. And he would study it and he would crank it and turn the wheels and watch how the solar system operated. And he had a friend who was an atheist. He had a friend who didn't believe in God, didn't believe that God created. And so on one particular day, his friend showed up at his house and he was operating this model. And so the friend, Newton's working on it, and the friend said, Newton, Isaac, this, this is, thing is amazing. Who made it? And he didn't even look up. He said nothing. Nothing made it. All these gears and, and cogs and chains and wheels, it just, I got up one morning, and it was there. And his smart friend, the atheist, knew the point that he was making. The existence of Newton's simple machine presupposed a maker. How much more does the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars its perfectly ordered solar system presuppose a capital M maker. God, to God be the glory. The slant of the earth. You got, we got Google now. You can just look at these things. This stuff will blow your mind. I was blowing my mind this week. Like the slant of the earth is at 23 degrees. That gives us our seasons. You tilt that thing just a little bit too much, and not only would we lose our seasons, we would lose life as we know it. If the moon was closer than it is, the tides would daily flood entire continents. This glory to God. The scripture tells us that, that, that the earth is being held together by the power of his word. Being sustained by the power of his word. The earth's tilt. Staying right where it needs to be. 
so whole continents are not flooded daily. Glory to God. Johann Kepler said this, the undevout astronomer is mad. The undevout astronomer, the, the, the astronomer that studies these things and then concludes that there's no God is crazy. Let's make some application here. Let's make some application to our prayers. How could this, what we're learning about day four and God's filling of the earth, influence our prayers? I wonder if we remember enough when we pray who we're talking to. God is the creator of the universe. The sun, and there's a lot of research you can study on this, but the sun is one of, I'll use a number on the lower end. It's one of 250 billion stars in our galaxy. Our galaxy is one of 100 billion galaxies. Now, with the Hubble telescope, there are some scientists that believe we're headed to the discovery of two trillion galaxies. Two hundred and fifty billion stars in our galaxy. Our galaxy is one of we'll use a hundred billion. And did you see if you looked at the scripture while Steph was reading? God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And there's like a parenthesis and the stars too. Moving on. It's like a throwaway line. Given all the problems that are in this room, all the trials, all the uncertainty, all the questions, all the worries, all the fears, all the discouragement. I wonder if our prayer lives would change or be influenced if we started them by remembering who it is we're talking to, who it is that we're bringing our requests to. Like, if, if God can do all of this, do you think he can help you? Do you think, do you think we can put confidence in him to, to answer the, the worries, the fears, the questions that we have? Maybe you're sitting here and you're just, you're searching, you're wondering, you're needing Direction for the future. Behold your God. Maybe, maybe you just feel like you're stuck. You're stuck in the middle. Behold your God. 
Maybe you're a teenager sitting here and you're just searching for some meaning. For your, you're trying to find your way. You're trying to find something that will deeply satisfy. You're trying to figure out what life is all about. Behold your God. Maybe you're someone who struggles with addiction. And you would love to break the cycle of addiction that you seem to, to, to live in. Behold your God. Maybe you're experiencing some challenge right now. Maybe you're experiencing some financial challenge. You're, you're worried about the future. Behold your God. Maybe you have a fear, a fear about your children's health, your, your fear about the, what's going to happen to your kids. What, what's going what's gonna, to, maybe you have a physical, a fear for their physical health. Maybe you fear for their spiritual health. Behold your God. Maybe you just feel tired. Behold your God. Maybe you're aware of sins that you keep cycling through, leaving you experiencing guilt, this cycle of guilt and shame. Behold your God. Maybe you need restoration or resolution to a conflict that's been intense and, and, it, and it seems to just continue. Behold your God. Maybe you just are looking for some peace in, ang in anxious days. Behold your God. You can bring your request to him. Remember who you're talking to. Remember who you have access to. Not only did God make the stars, but Psalm 147 tells us that he calls them all by name. So we got 250 billion stars in our galaxy. We got 100 billion galaxies. You do the math. If God knows all the stars by name, you better believe he knows you by name. How could that influence your prayers? How could that influence your conversations with God? We need to remember who we're talking to. The greater our distress, the more fervent should be our calling upon the Almighty. It's William Plumer, commentary on the Psalms. Listen to that again. The greater our distress, the more fervent should be our calling upon the Almighty. Now, I know you're stressed. So what the question is, how fervent is your calling on and your confidence in the Almighty? Right? Sometimes, oftentimes, what, what happens is the greater our stress, the less we actually call on the Almighty. So Plumer's right. The greater our distress, the more we should be crying out to God. We can speak to God about the specifics of our lives. We live in specifics, not generalities. God, the Creator, invites you to come to Him with your specific afflictions, with your specific difficulties. Listen, all that I'm saying is what I see right here. God said it, and it was. God thought it, and He willed it. God said it. God made it. What God says 
is done. In the Psalms, you ever notice sometimes that there'll be this little Hebrew word, selah, S-E-L-A-H, and you never know what to do there. You're like, what does it mean? What is it? It actually means, it's like take a break. It's rest. We need a selah right now. Remember who God is. Take a break right now and cast whatever it is that's worrying you, that you're fearful about, and cast it upon him. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Day five. Remember, it coincides with day two. Day two, God divided the waters, creating, separating the the sea from the heavens. On this corresponding day of day five, he fills the waters and the sky with life. That's captured in verses 20 through 23. The seas are swarming with living things, which keeps many of you or some of you out of the ocean on sunny days on vacation. Probably would keep more of us out of the ocean if we could see what was swarming underneath our surfboards. Skies filled with birds, astonishing variety, all from the mind of God. We don't slow down to think about these things enough. I have been thinking about birds lately. I'm just, I, I sit out back and I think about birds. I've been telling you guys about this. We've got those big woodpeckers. Do you know the, the big ones? The ones that Woody the woodpecker was modeled after. They're actually called pileated woodpeckers, and they're really big. They're the biggest They're the biggest woodpecker in the woodpecker family. Now, if you listen to them, pack the wood. It's it's amazing. It's like someone climbed up into a tree with a pneumatic drill. (laughs) How does that thing move that its head that fast? And, and so I started looking this up. Like, how many beats per second is this? You know what a pileated woodpecker can do? 30 beats per second. 30 beats per second. So then I had another question. If I beat my head 30 times against a tree per second, what would happen to my brain? Like, we're so concussion like cautious around here in this day and age. Like how does a woodpecker, like why don't we find them like laying on the ground from concussions? There must be some concussion protocol for pileated woodpeckers. How does this happen? Well, I looked it up. It's because they, unlike most other birds, except for those in the woodpecker, God gave these bones called hyoid bones. And it, it acts like a seatbelt for their brains. So their brains are not b- being jolted over and over and over again. Every time they pound on a tree, God has given them these bones that hold their brain in place. That's amazing, guys. I mean, give glory to God for hyoid bones of the pileated <laughs> woodpecker. 
owls. I've been thinking about owls. Owls are crazy. Owls are nocturnal. So this is my bio lesson for you guys. They're nocturnal. That means they, they move around at night. They feed at night. No headlamp, though. Right? So if I told you to go make your meal with all the lights out, that would be difficult for us. Not so for the owl. Because the owl has been given big eyes. So this is the equivalent of eyes. If our eyes were the size of the owl's eyes, our eyes would be tennis balls. Mm, real pretty people <laughs> hanging around. Owls, owls can rotate their heads. Now, we can rotate our heads. We can rotate our heads a total of 180 degrees. I mean, unless you're weird. So you, so you can turn your head, like you're starting straight ahead, and you can turn this way about 90 degrees, right? And then you can turn this way about 90 degrees. 180 degrees total. You can't turn 180 degrees, though. I can't, I can't get my head back there behind me, right? Owls can go in both directions 270 degrees. That helps at night when you need to be able to see and your eyes are fixed. So their eyes don't move like our eyes move, but they can rotate their head 270 degrees. Why not go the whole 360, Lord? I don't know. He didn't. This is even, this is the most amazing. Most birds, when they flap their wings, you can hear them. Like, have you ever heard geese go over? If they go over low, you hear the sound of their wings. It's because of the way their wings are constructed. Owls have serrated wings. So their wings are kind of, they're like this. Which means they fly. Which means that the mouse that they saw with their big eyes, with their head turned behind their heads, then they drop out of the tree, doesn't even hear him coming. <laughs> Boom. Got your meal. Glory be to God for owls and woodpeckers. That was my little National Geographic for the moment. It says now that he blessed them and he commanded them to increase and grow, giving them ability to reproduce. And we should celebrate and worship God for his extravagance in creation. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. Now we go to the sixth day, and I won't linger here. Day, day six coordinates with day three. Day three, he caused the dry ground and he covered it with vegetation. Day six, he filled it with land creatures. He filled it with animals. We get a description of domesticated animals, and we get a description of wild animals, and you can read that in verses 24 through 25. The categories are generic, and they're meant to, to help us to see that God has created every terrestrial earthly beast. The effect is worship. Then for the rest of day six, if you look, verses 26 through 30, 
are, that's the balance of day six, but God goes into slow motion in the creation of man, male and female, he created them. Let's take care of that next week. Application. What should you do? What should you do in order to worship God as an amazing creator? You should get a subscription to National Geographic if you don't have one. You should get a subscription to Ranger Rick, even better, because it's written for kids, and, and it's, I think it's even more amazing. You should, every once in a while, um, I'll tell you something you should do. You should get a bird feeder and put it in your house. Put it not in your house. You won't get any birds then. Put it outside your house so that you can look, and, and unless you have birds in the house, of course, so that you can observe and watch birds. You should get a membership to Longwood Gardens if you can afford it. <laughs> uh, if you can't, you should take a long walk outside. You should go to the zoo. If you can't afford the Philadelphia Zoo, which is you do need a small loan to go there, go to the Wilmington Zoo. It's cheaper. And I'm not saying just uh, parents with kids either. You got, we got to get off our phones and get outside more and enjoy this creation. We're not doing it to worship creation. We're doing it to stand in awe of the one who, who thought it, willed it, said it, and made it for his glory. Watch shows like, I make my family do this. <laughs> you know, we have family dinner well, once a week. Um, and we don't do this every week, but well, we do have dinner. We try to have dinner once a week. Uh, grandparents, Amy and I, our kids, once a week we try to have dinner. Sometimes at dinner I have different things that I like to do, but one of the things I like to do is watch these outdoor shows. And I still make everybody pile into the living room and watch shows like Meerkat Manor. All right, now you guys should watch Meerkat Manor if you want to get a sense of God and his glory in creation. We got a little bored after just one season. I'm told they made like eight seasons of this. I got them through one. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get all of them through another. I'm getting, some, I'm getting some laughs and some nods that maybe I won't be able to get them through another season of Meerkat Manor. But there's plenty of Planet Earth narrated by David Attenborough. You should watch these things and give glory to God. All right. We good? Let's make a connection to Jesus. I told you the last time I preached that the one who formed the universe can bring form and restore order to lives that are broken by sin. Now let's, let, let's make more application because there's more. The one, we talked about the one who formed the universe, the one who filled the earth, filled the universe with light, Sea with fish, the air with birds, the land with animals, specializes in giving his salvation to broken people, his righteousness to an otherwise empty humanity. It was Augustine, I said already, said there's an emptiness in our souls. There's an abyss. There's a cavern. There's a vacuum in our souls within fallen humanity. When I'm talking about fallen humanity, I'm talking about in sin apart from Christ. 
And that emptiness, that vacuum, that hole within can only be filled with an infinite and an immutable object. Infinite, eternal, immutable, unchanging. It can only be filled with God. We have this God-sized hole in our hearts that only God can fill. We have a God-sized void in our hearts that only God can fill. A God-sized vacuum in our hearts that only God can fill. Do you know that emptiness of soul? Do Do you know that vacuum? I want us all to remember the love the Father has shown us in Jesus. He died He came, he died, he rose again to restore our broken lives and to fill our lives with his fullness, replacing our emptiness with the fullness of himself. This is the love of God the Father who gives everything he has. He gives our son, he gives his son for our salvation He gives his spirit to fill us and live within us. God has been gracious. There was a toy, I think it came out in the 80s, that, there it is. You remember that toy? Our kids love that toy. The basic premise of the toy is you have these shapes, you have these little blocks of of specific shapes that are made and constructed in a way that they only fit in the corresponding hole. And so the goal is, for little kids, is to take those shapes, find the right hole, and stick it in, and then all the pieces are inside the little ball, and you pull it apart, and you shake them out, and then you do it again. And I remember, for some reason, I remember my sons more than my daughters. I remember all of them loving this thing and playing with it. But I just remember my sons, it must be something about boys, taking one piece and trying to get it into the wrong hole. (laughs) 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 Trying to bang it into the wrong hole. And you're like, but hold on. You're trying to put the square thing in the circle hole. It doesn't fit. You've got to find the one that fits. But they were so unsatisfied while they tried to jam the wrong piece into the wrong hole. Sadly, I see us doing the same thing. We keep trying to jam. We keep trying to find satisfaction by jamming the wrong piece into the wrong hole. The hole is God-sized. It can only be filled with God, but we keep taking things like money and power and social media and entertainment and materialism and porn and all kinds of things. And we sit there trying to jam it into the hole, believing that it would satisfy us, but it never, ever does. 
God has created you for him. And he invites you into a relationship through his son Jesus and the work that Jesus did on the cross to save you, which will provide for your eternal satisfaction. Colossians 2.9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Church, we need to be more regularly filled with the Spirit of God who satisfies. We need to repent and turn away from seeking to be filled with things other than him. And we need to ask him, our loving God, our sovereign ruler and creator over all, to fill us with himself. The most meaningful, most creative, most satisfying life possible is one lived here in the Spirit. It's being filled with the Spirit. So let's allow a fresh filling of the Spirit to bring a fresh genesis to our lives. Amen? What we're going to do is something a little bit different. We had, uh, I don't know if you've been listening. I hope you have been. We put together a playlist for In the Beginning. And we selected a lot of different songs, different, different genres. And we did that intentionally because we, we, we wanted to expose the church to different art forms and allow those different expressions of creativity to draw us to worship in God. This is one of the songs on that playlist. It's a familiar one. This is My Father's World, but it's, it's, it's uh, put to a video where the lyrics are displayed and a woman with a great voice sings it and we just wanted to play it as a response to the sermon. This is My Father's World is the name of the song. What I'd encourage you to do as you watch it is ask God for a fresh filling of the Spirit in your life. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He 
that's feeling it. We worship the more we see that he's revealed in it. Yeah, with great prudence and skills, he made newness from hills and lakes to what's concealed in space moving. And who determined the clouds? Wait, the one named Sun will return on the clouds? Wait. His honor's attached to this prominent act of creation. And so creation's reminding me that this is my father's world.